What's up, everybody, and welcome back to episode eight of the Promptly Written Podcast, uh, where every month we pick a writing prompt, write stories about them, then talk about them. My name's Matt Garrick, and with me, as always, Ian Lewis. What's going on, Ian? Uh, not much, man. I can't believe we're on episode eight already. I know. I'm, I'm really excited for this episode, too. I'm not going to lie. Um, it, I feel like um, every time we start recording, I feel like we don't record often enough. But then I think about how much work you have to do to get to this point, And then I think we record just enough. Well, we <laughs> quit our day jobs or something. <laughs> right. So uh, before we get to the stories, uh, I think we got, a, we got a handful of stuff to talk about today. So I think we could just jump right into it. It uh, looks like you added something right here at the beginning. Yeah, so I uh, have a correction to make from the prior month's episode. Um, with my story, um, the pronunciation of one of the watch brands, um, I incorrectly said uh, blank pain, which is the, <clears throat> the dumb American way of saying it. It's actually a French word, blanc pain, which um, I took four years of French, should should have should have known that. Um, but was just too lazy. Uh, I, but I, the excuse I'm using is that I only know how to pronounce Timex. So yeah, I mean, it's I think it's fine. It. I mean, I think 90 percent of the population, if you said blanc pain, would probably say bless you. <laughs> right. So, yeah. So we're good. Um, but that's good. Um, which that wasn't that was one of the expensive watches, right? It was. Yeah. 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 I still haven't picked up my Casio. Well, you know, the one thing I neglected to mention about that watch is that it's pretty busy on the the watch case it's got a lot of words um and one of the mods that the guys do to it is they take some uh like testers model paint and a q-tip and some of that wording comes off pretty easy um with some gentle rubbing on the on the case so it, it looks a little cleaner huh. i did that to mine i like the look better of it but this is interesting we're gonna have to talk offline about watch oh, modding whole, i never there's thought a whole about thing yeah, there's a whole thing with watch modding and like these guys are nuts, but I, I never thought about that's, modding. But that's about as far as I've got. That's pretty awesome. Um, well, okay, so that's all cleared up now. So let's. I got a little bit of follow up, and it, it concerns your your uh, latest release. How's From Legend doing? Um, so th- the feedback I've got so far is very positive. Um, I haven't got as much feedback as I'd like, which I think is always the case. I believe I read a glowing book review from. Uh, one of reader's those favorite. websites. Yeah, whatever whatever you shared on Facebook. Yeah, reader reader's favorite gave it a five star review. I was pretty happy about that because that that's about as unbiased as, as I can get. You know, some some of my early reviewers I, I don't know them personally. I either know them through work or, you know, in some cases I had a couple people on Reddit and then, you know, friends of friends or whoever agreed to do it. And some of the people came through with reviews and some of them didn't, which I expected that would happen, but um you know, the people that are, you know, so far removed from you, you, you get that positive feedback. That, that's always an, an, a nice feeling. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, I'll, I'll be the first to confess I have not had a chance to read it yet. Uh, I did buy it. It is sitting in my Kindle library. But um, it's a quick read. It's not it's not it's a very short novel. It's not that long. It is. But I kind of got um, slammed right away with my latest class. I was first up mm-hmm. in the workshop, so I had a lot of editing to do so. This class does not seem to have quite as much reading requirements as some of the stuff I've done in the past. So I do hope to get that read before we talk again. Oh, that would be awesome. I still have like, I'm still juggling like three books. Like we have like a reading as a writer book and uh, a novel and then like a book of exercises, which is actually really interesting. There's a lot of good writing prompts in there. So if I come across some good ones... Uh, we might be able to shift some of those that I don't use for the class here. So um, I will definitely plan on reading it before the next time, before episode nine airs, so we can t- and then we can decide if I think we kind of threw around the idea of maybe doing a deep dive bonus podcast mm-hmm. into the story. So maybe we can figure that out as well. That would be that would be cool. Cool. I'm glad it's going good. I hope it keeps going good. And. For all of you listening out there, go buy it, read it, and review it. I will review it after I read it, but not before, because that wouldn't do anybody any good. Right. So um, I just have a a really quick topic. I failed to mention it on our last episode, but April was the first month of the year of Camp NaNoWriMo. Now, I know you don't buy into the whole NaNoWriMo thing, but Camp NaNoWriMo, you set like a, it's it's more like a free form kind of thing. You set whatever goal you want. It can be words, it can be minutes, it can be chapters, it can be hours, whatever. So I um, 
I took the liberty of pledging my online allegiance to Camp NaNoWriMo for the month of April, and I set a goal of 450 minutes of development work on the novel that, that I'm getting started. So I've spent all of that time doing like character sheets and, you know, mapping out plot points and like outlining and getting my goal was by April to have like just a, a plethora of information that I could use to start writing the book. So like, so I have everything kind of brain dumped out. So that way I can just kind of dive right into the writing. And so far I'm at 358 out of the 450 minutes. So I only have like an hour and a half left. I'm going to hit the goal, which I'm pretty happy with. I filled like, nice. yeah, I filled almost like 25 pages of like a notebook and you know, my handwriting is super tiny in print. So like, I'm, I'm pretty happy with the amount of information I I did. I'm, working on just like hitting like the major plot points now. And then um, I haven't decided if I'm going to do like a real in-depth outline or just start writing. Hmm. So well, that, that's cool. Yeah. It's, it's like, I don't know. What do you think? Like, I think we were talking about um, panting and plotting and we were both plotters as far as longer works go. I know you said you kind of go free form on these short stories, but as far as the longer works go, when you do your outline, like if you outline a, a chapter. Do you write a paragraph for every chapter before you do it? Yeah, a paragraph per chapter. Okay. Um, it's never it's never more than that. It's just really high level of who's in the scene, um, where they're at, what they're doing. Just just the things that really stick out of my head about you know what makes the scene for me. Mm-hmm. Um, there's so much more detail that comes out once you start to write it, but it's just enough to get you going. Okay, so I think I, I think I might go ahead and start doing that. I think because right now everything's just like bullet points, and it's it's almost like. I was taking the three act structure and breaking it down in like, here's act one and here's like the things that need to happen in act one. And then I think maybe I'll take this a level further and do like paragraphs of everything that'll come between those points. So, you know, I think they do another camp NaNoWriMo in July. So I might, I'll probably revisit and do that and continue working on this for that. And I don't know if, if at that point I'll go back to the more traditional like word count goal or still do the minutes. I think the minutes is nice because like, I think 450 minutes equated to like 15 minutes a day, which is completely attainable. Like there's no, there's no excuse. And I mean, it it like averaged out to 15 minutes a day. What I ended up doing was like 30 to 45 minutes every two to three days. And it seemed to work because I had other stuff to write. So I was pretty, I was pretty proud of that. And um, I'm trying to keep the momentum going on this. Cool. Uh, I think we had a suggestion from Twitter last month that we weren't able to get to, and I just wanted to briefly touch on it. I don't like I. It came from Barb, Barbara J. Lucas. I think uh, we established last month that I'm going to call you Barb, whether you like it or not. <laughs> and uh, she wanted tips on describing scenes in action, and I hate to disappoint Barb, but like at least from my perspective, you're asking the wrong person because if. You know, if um, I think everything that I've written for this podcast and everything I've written outside this podcast, I tend to be conversation dialogue driven more than action. So if I'm doing action scenes, um, I'm probably hitting broad points and then and then getting out of out of dodge. You know, Uh, Mm -hmm. what do you what do you what's your take on this? Like, do you do you, you do you do a little more action than than I than I would say I do. I mean, I, I, I've never really had anyone say, you know, one way or another whether I'm doing it right. So I, I guess I, I appreciate feedback on that. But I always try to strike a balance in the sense that some people write action with a very, like, wooden type of cadence. It's, it's very um, boring and dry is not the right word, but it's just it's very mechanical. And it doesn't flow well, you know? Yeah, I've seen action before where it's like almost everything kind of slows down. Yes. Where you're describing yes. everything. And to me, that's kind of the opposite of what you want. Like, I think right. action should ramp things up. So I don't need to necessarily know that when you, you know, pull on the rack of the of the, of the the gun that the bullet's advancing into the chamber and getting ready. To, like, it's just like, motherfucker, shoot the bullet. Yeah, I mean that that's probably a good example. I mean the the other thing is the flip side is that some people don't do action at all. Mm-hmm. And it's very hard to picture the scene because you haven't described any body language or any movements and so I think there's a a balance between the two where you kind of straddle the the, the fence there where 
I usually have a more of a specific um, gesture or sequence in mind than I could get across on paper. It's something that is more of a something I would see on a movie screen, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I try to do that justice. But you're always up against, you know, the reader's going to have his or her own interpretation. So you, you give them just enough to like get their imagination going, and then you kind of have to leave it at that. Yeah, I agree with that. I think balance is the right word, you know, to focus yeah. on when you're doing that, just to make sure that you're not, you're not weighing things too too much on the side of description, where you're actually like bringing the the narrative to a halt, but you don't want to like rush through it and like skip skip over things where people are like, "What the hell just happened?" Yeah, I think um, one of the ways you can do that is with uh, metaphor um, or simile, that kind of thing. You know, use descriptors um, rather than co- concrete words. Um, the other thing is when you do dialogue, even some of the expo- exposition, but especially dialogue, you want to be very short. You don't want to have long, drawn-out pieces of dialogue or inner monologue right. uh, with, uh, with an action scene. Yeah, I was actually talking to somebody about dialogue in 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 one of the workshops and it's just like the one thing i do is after i write all the dialogue out i always read it out loud because if i can't say it then to me it doesn't belong in dialogue but if you just listen to people in conversation they don't put every little minute detail out there you know things are assumed things are skipped over and i think that needs to happen in your dialogue on the page as well otherwise it just makes it feel unnatural is that mm-hmm. fair i agree yeah yep. so um definitely if you're having problems with dialogue i highly recommend reading it out loud because you'll know immediately when you say it if it sounds funny or not i mean it's just it should be immediate so barb i hope that helped if it didn't uh sorry you know uh if you have uh any more questions like definitely hit us up on twitter it's at p written pod or you can hit me at at match garrick ian you're still not on twitter right Still not, uh, never will be. It's okay, so I'll take the brunt of it. Yeah, you know, get him to me, and if I think Ian can answer it better, I will reach out. I will get the answer from Ian, and then I will bring it back to you in the Twitterverse. It'll be great. We'll we'll get him there eventually, folks. It'll be fine. <laughs> Let's see. I, I think there's got a couple more things, and I'm like honestly, I'm really excited to get into this month's stories. So, um, one thing that I just like. I found really compelling is I was listening to a podcast. Um, it's called in between by Jeffrey Sidoris. He's a, he's a mixed media painter and photographer. And like, I, I listened to him for years on a photography podcast and, but he does these other podcasts where he just talks to artists about process and, and how they think. And, and he was talking about the idea that the first art that we encounter as a child that we really like, like latch onto defines the art that, we eventually end up creating as adults. And I found that really interesting. And I started thinking about that in terms of like my writing. And I think it's, I think there's something to be said for this idea. Like the first author that I really latched onto was Stephen King. And um, whether it's, whether it's evident or not, he's definitely in the back of my mind. And I'm like trying to, you know, emulate and live up to the standard of of fiction that he created in my mind as a child. And I was wondering, like, does that apply to you as well? Like, can you, can you make that kind of connection and relate it to, to what you're doing now? Um, I, I would say broadly speaking, art in general does inform my writing, um, Mm -hmm. especially music. Um, okay. If we ever do that, that deep dive on the, on the on the front legend that I you know I have a whole thing to to talk about with regard to that but you know there's a lot of those I I can identify with the 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 idea about stuff you're exposed to as a child I mean I I think the original Star Wars trilogy was like to this day I think you know because they're obviously not perfect films and they they have their their flaws but to me there's it's 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 almost beyond nostalgia like there's there's just something about them that was so they just kind of left an impression on me, I guess. Yeah, oh, um, absolutely. That, that to describe would be way outside of the, the context of the podcast. but Well, right. But um, I, there's things like that. Um, I'm sorry, go ahead. Oh, no, I was just going to say, I think that fits well, because if you think about it, you're, you're talking about Star Wars. It was a, a created universe. You know, it was something that was out of, you know, 
George Lucas's mind. And it's like your writing seems to be in an in a universe that you created. I mean, even though it's like rooted in Earth, there's definitely fantastical elements where you're like pushing the boundaries where I think the stuff that I've done uh, the, thus far is pretty much like in society generally as we know it. You know what I mean? So does that make sense? Right. Yeah. Yeah. So I think I think this applies well. Yeah. And I guess I, I wasn't even going to say that Star Wars isn't an influence per se on what I write. It may be in some abstract way, but I guess I was just uh, drawing the point that that art is a, a that you're exposed to early on, I think, does is very, you know, formative for you. Um, the I, I would say early on, the writer that I was trying to emulate was Ian Fleming in some of the early stuff that I wrote that I cringe at today, um, just stylistically, I was trying to mimic him and I still do enjoy descriptive writing, um, because, because of him. But, um, I, there's not really a lot of authors I would say that really influence me today or that I'm trying to emulate. Gotcha. Um, but, but I would say art in general, like especially music definitely influences me as, as a writer. Cool. Well, I have, to, I, I have a confession. I've never read anything by um, Ian Fleming. Not a thing. And is it one of those things where it's like you can tell it's dated and it might not? Like, do you think you would like it if there wasn't like a nostalgia from reading it when you were younger? Well, so that's the thing. I didn't even read that when I was younger. I didn't read them until I was in college. Oh, okay. But I, what, what I was just going to say is I don't know that I would have enjoyed them as much if I didn't already like the character because I grew up watching the, the Bond movies. Okay. And because I liked the character so much, I was like, well, I want to see the source material. And, you know, on their own, some of the stories are, are way better than the others and that kind of thing. Um, and would they stand up had I not had the movies? I don't know. It's a good question. Yeah, it's interesting because you can you, once you've seen the movie, especially if you've seen it before the book, you can really never take that away and view it. It's It's hard, but, I mean, some of the movies are so different than the books anyway that it's just sort of like a passing resemblance. That happens, especially if you're saying that Fleming was like super descriptive. Like some of that you just can't translate into a visual and you just got to like yeah, go with it. You know what I mean? And really, yeah. And really the, the character was somewhat, at least over the years, became larger than than life in a sense than the, the character in the book was. He was a little bit more grounded and realistic. So it's definitely a different take, but... All right. Well, you know, I think the last thing we had to talk about here was about um, a future prompt. So I think maybe we should save that until the end. What do you think? Sure. Okay. So that means it is time for stories. Time for stories. And this month's prompt was clown shoes. And I was real excited about it. I'm not going to lie. I might have text messaged a few people to go and vote for clown shoes in the poll to make sure that clown shoes was chosen. Mm, got it. <laughs> well, I wasn't a big fan of the prompt, even though I put it out there as a random thought. <laughs> yeah, and, and but and then as I started writing, I started to like second guess that a little bit because it was a little more difficult than I had initially imagined. But I'm I'm ultimately pretty pleased with uh with the resulting story. Okay. So we'll see. Yeah. So I, I'm excited. I'm. Let's just say I'm excited for this prompt. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that scares <laughs> me, but. <laughs> But okay, so um, who, who, you, who wants to go first? As for, I think I think we've established a pattern at this point. Pattern, yeah. So, All right. so you want to take it away, and uh, I will yeah. take it away. So this story clocks in about fifteen hundred words. <laughs> Hopefully, that'll leave you enough room if you went over. <laughs> You're laughing. Let's see here. I didn't go as over as I usually do, but I do believe that I went over. So, all right. Yeah, yeah, I'm at like 2,500. It wasn't too bad. All right, well, I'm going to try to work on my delivery a little bit too. I, I can't make any promises, but I know that's my my uh, my weak spot here. I think your delivery is lovely, Ian. Okay, well, I had some feedback on my delivery, in it, and it was from somebody who's in radio, so... But at any rate, the uh, title of this month's story is Anti-Heroes 1.1. Now, just... Just so that, like, we already had an anti-hero story, correct? 1.0, yes. Yes, and do we remember what episode that was? I should have wrote that down before. 
I think it was four or five. I think it was January's episode, whichever one was January. Let me look real quick because I want to be able to direct listeners to that episode if they have not listened to that one and are new. That way they get the whole shebang. Well, it may not matter. Oh, okay. Okay. You'll just have to listen. Yeah, I don't remember which one it was. Anyways, we'll figure it out. I'll put it in the show notes. I will link to the other episode in the show notes. Fair enough. So you can find it there if you haven't heard it. Okay, cool. Cool. All right, here we go. The grinding in my head comes in waves. It always has. Just like the voices. But are they really voices? They're like quiet murmurs drifting in and out of consciousness. Either saying something I can't understand, or it's all just gibberish. As the rain collects and puddles near my feet in this filthy back alley, all I can look at is these clown shoes. These big, clomping red things that don't fit. I thought by getting out of the facility that everything would change. The voices, the grinding pain in my head, all of it. But just like these shoes don't fit, I fear I'll always be out of place in this world. The man sitting across from me, sitting in a big cardboard box stuffed with rags and newspapers, Grins with stained teeth. I think he's what you'd call a bum. Holes in his shoes and pants. Filthy jacket and greasy hair. Them shoes will stick out, he says. You ought to get a new pair. Blend in. I look down at my feet again and feel something like confused shame. Already I'm making mistakes. Already I've betrayed my otherness. How long before I'm found out? How long before I'm arrested and hauled back to the facility? It wasn't even 24 hours ago they'd brought us all out of our rooms. Those sterile, antiseptic places I've always called home. Locks on the doors and observation windows. I didn't always see them for what they were. You spend every waking minute of your life under fluorescent lighting, and you think it's normal. But soon you get glimpses of the outside world. Dr. T always came in wearing his white lab coat to give me my medicine. There was a logo on his chest and the letters RX. Pretty soon I put it together that he didn't work at the facility all the time, but that he had another job somewhere else. I was one of the older ones, though, so I picked up on those things. I picked up on conversations from the orderlies, too. Talk of new shipments of parts. Altered mix of the proteins. Shifts in priorities. Changes in schedules. New financial backers. They were tidbits that never made sense before now. And of course, there was the TV we were all allowed to watch an hour or two every day. It didn't matter how much of it was real and how much of it wasn't. I just knew there was something else out there, and it didn't look like the facility. The blare of horns and the stink of the alley makes that all the more real. I never thought I'd see the city. I never thought anything would make me feel so small. We were never supposed to get out of the facility. I know that now. At least not like this. There were other plans and other goals. But like I was saying... They brought us all out of our rooms, one by one. Four, six, nine, and twelve came out first. We just used the numbers above our doors as names, and those were the younger ones. They wore plain gray pants and shirts just like me, along with the same flimsy slippers. Then one, two, three, ten, eleven, and me were brought out. I'm eight. That's another thing. Everyone else, the doctors, the orderlies, the people on TV, they all had names. How come I didn't have a name? It never sat right with me. We filed into the common area where there were some couches, the TV, and a table with chairs. And standing right there in the middle was this clown. Baggy balloon pants all multicolored. Tiny purple vest, white makeup, red nose, crazy red hair, the whole getup. The younger ones had a smile on their faces and a few of them giggled. I just took it as one of those times the doctors were trying to entertain us, make us feel kind of normal, I guess. But I'm too old for that type of stuff. I just hovered near the back and watched. Plus, my head was killing me again, like a drill pushing its way into my skull. Normally, the pain was the worst when I was doing my training. I'll never forget going down to that big open room in the basement every day, the harsh lighting, the electrodes attached to my head and chest, cycling through the patterns they put in front of me, the guided meditation, practicing what they call target acquisition. The drilling stab into my skull would always start up, and soon after it felt like my brain was in a blender. My head felt just like that with the clown making his way across the room doing his tricks. The orderly stood nearby. Dr. T was there too. I had the sudden feeling they'd thrown us to the wolves. I can't explain why or even how the thought popped into my head, but they were there, 
corralling all us in with his freakish guy dressed in his freakish clothing. The voices in my head started up again like furious mumbling, and then something inside me snapped. First, the whole room took on a slant, like I was dizzy and everything was skewed. This clown got up in my face with his puffy red nose, and he looked like poison to me. This cheery, colorful pill I was supposed to swallow. This snake hidden amongst the toys. This agenda disguised as a lesson. It was all meant to keep us sedate so the programming could take hold. In that moment, I gave it a name. The programming. I gave lots of things names right then and there. I saw my whole life engineered and exploited to serve someone else's purpose. It was the first moment of clarity I think I've ever had. A single-minded focus that took into account every twisted thing that had been done to me and why. I felt the charge in my body, the dissolving of bonds and the hardening of edges, the separation of limbs and the coming together and purpose of every cell. No pain, and there was one thought driving it all. I am a weapon. The rippling energy that was my forearm sliced clean through the clown's chest before I surged across the room. All at once I was moving forward and decoupled in multiple pieces, my left leg like a sinister flash of a swiping blade, my chest like a hurtling battle axe of raw power. I slit the throats of two orderlies and gutted another before my body came back together for a second, only long enough to bounce further across the room and split my parts again. The flash of my blinding fire went off like flash bulbs. I was a raging storm of white-hot lightning massacre, but I wasn't out of control. Each strike was focused, and every doctor I dismembered had no time to react. I was on them all at once, and the voices inside me sang. More orderlies poured in as the shrieking sound of the alarm drowned out the children's screams. Eight, eight, Dr. T called out somewhere in the back of my head as I engaged the orderlies. I didn't hesitate. I just turned and lanced out, thinking of all the times Dr. T force-fed me his lies. I decapitated him, and then there was only the sobbing of the children in between the bleats of the alarm. I knew I had to get out. I stumbled in a panic over the mess of bodies, grasping for whatever was close. My slippers wouldn't do, and so I pulled on the clown's boots thinking I didn't want to look like an orderly. Then I was struck by how odd those might look and grabbed Dr. T's lab coat, hoping to counterbalance it. My hyperfocus quickly devolved into madness, and my mind went blank. The voices died down to nothing. Somehow I made my way out. I don't know whether I killed more people before my head cleared, but I cut through shrubbery and down a walk, delirious. The glare of the open sky burned my eyes while my body cramped up. I tried to get away from the busy streets where people just stared at me. Now I'm stuck in this alley with nowhere to go. Where will I sleep? What will I eat? It occurs to me that without the routine and structure, I'm paralyzed. And I'm afraid of the next time my head will start hurting because I don't know if it'll make me kill again. Say, what's your name, fella? The bum asks me as he digs at the dregs of a soup can. I start to say eight, but I know it won't make sense. I... I don't know what my name is. He slurps the residual soup off his fingers. How about I just call you Rex, then? Huh? The bum points at the lab coat that I'm still wearing. Your shirt says RX. You know, kind of like Rex. Rex. Yeah, I guess that works. The voices inside my head, all calm and sedate now, seem to agree. I'm Rex. The end. Wow. I'm so proud of you. There was slaughter <laughs> and proud? visceral and like just it was just blah. Like it was intense. So I have a bunch of questions written down. So we I'm can, sure you we do. can other we can and and some of them relate to like how this relates to Antiheroes 1.0. Okay. So, do you want to you want to do that now, or do you want me to read and then we'll do it later? I, it's up to you. I don't care. I'm leaving it up to you. We'll do it later. Okay. So, I very unimaginatively named my story "Clown Shoes," and I know it's a kind of a cop out because that's the name of the prompt, but it works, and I don't care. Because I was thinking about it, and I had a couple other titles in line that I will, um, I'll share with you later. But I think that they give too much away, if you will. So well, I'll ask your opinion, and then if if you disagree that they don't give too much away, we'll pick one, and then that'll be the that'll be the title. It'll be a live titling. So here we go. Clown shoes. Bill tilted his glass back and forth 
watching as the last of the ice disappeared, becoming one with his bourbon. He swallowed the last bit with a large gulp and set the glass gently back down. The thin clink of the glass on the aged oak bar top got the attention of the bartender. Would you like another? Nah, it's okay, replied Bill as he pulled up the white silk sleeves of his uniform. The large yellow ruffles that functioned as cuffs looked even more ridiculous when they were up at his elbows. Be great if I can get a Coke, though. Gets a smell off my breath. Sure thing, smiled the bartender as he added a couple of cubes of ice into the empty glass and filled it with Coke. Just as he finished, another man opened the door to the bar, letting in a chorus of crashing pins and loud cheering coming from the more traditional patrons of the bowling alley. He sat down at the opposite side of the bar. His hair was unkempt, and there were traces of black soot on his hands, arms, and face. He snickered as he caught sight of Bill. The fuck are you supposed to be? He stood and leaned forward to look Bill up and down. Is that a fucking unitard? The bartender stopped in the middle of cleaning some glasses in order to quietly observe, ready to intervene if it came down to it. Bill was hardly phased. As if it's not completely obvious, I'm a clown. Oh yeah? Why don't you do something funny then? Make me laugh. Bill sighed deeply. It was a kind of sigh that lets you know that this wasn't the first time this particular conversation had been had. I'm afraid I can't do that. Oh yeah? Why not? Bill took a long sip of his Coke and made direct eye contact with the man, whose amusement was knocked back a level by Bill's piercing stare. Well, as you can see, Bill said as he pulled his wallet from a concealed pocket, selected a few bills and placed them on the bar. I don't have any makeup on. And most importantly, I'm not wearing my shoes. You got some magic shoes or something like that? Bill smiled. Yeah, something like that. He grabbed his empty glass and motioned to the bartender. Can I get one last refill? Bartender obliged silently, but didn't step away from Bill, maintaining eye contact. So what is your deal anyways, he said in a subdued tone. You look like you're in your mid-forties. Some kind of pervert or something? The man across the bar snickered. Shut the fuck up, Roger, the bartender snapped. This doesn't concern you. Roger laughed. This is a public place the last time I checked. Don't want me to listen? Don't talk. The bartender turned back to Bill. That one's a real piece of work. So anyways, you were saying? Bill checked across the bar, but his dirty friend was now focused on a small group of adults hanging up streamers and blowing up balloons in the adjacent party room. I got in this a long time ago and, well, just kind of stuck with me. Yeah, I get that. My dream wasn't exactly slinging drinks in a damn bowling alley. He paused briefly in a moment of reflection, letting the words linger but snapped back to reality and refocused on Bill. How does one become a clown? Bill hesitated, but decided to go ahead and get into it. Well, initially I wanted to be a comedian. That didn't really work out. Did the clown thing in my early teens, and it was the only thing I could think to do where I could still make people laugh. The bartender just stared, almost willing him to continue. I don't know what it is. There's something about the combination of the makeup, the outfit, the shoes... There's something about plodding around in those big, goofy-ass shoes that turns me into a different person. Makes me forget about everything but what I am in that moment. Bartender just shook his head. I don't know, man. There's something strange about someone your age performing for kids that doesn't sit well with me. Pretty fucking weird. Yeah, I guess it is. Bill rolled the ice cubes around in the glass and the bartender sprayed more coke in it. Truth be told, I can't stand this shit anymore. I mean... Get a couple hundred bucks for a couple hours work, but fuck kids today. They're not like kids from 30 years ago. It's almost like I'm not even performing anymore. I'm just a trained monkey doing what I'm told. Oddly, I can relate to that. Asshole customers like Roger over there are like fucking lab rats hitting me like a button to get another pellet. Drinks from me, laughs from you. As if on cue, Roger tapped his empty beer glass on the counter. Bartender excused himself, filled the class from the tap, and slid it back to him before returning to Bill. It was as if he was on autopilot. Go on. Please. Well, there's not much more to it. These little shits are monsters anymore. Sitting here now, the last thing I want to do is make them any sort of happy. Once those shoes go on, it all disappears, and I'm in the zone. It's crazy as shit. You ever have to do a job without the shoes? Bill's eyes were locked on his glass, watching as the carbonation, 
unable to avoid its attraction to the ice, submitted and adhered themselves to the cubes, clinging on for dear life. Once. It was a few years back. I'd rushed out the door that morning and forgotten that I'd taken the shoes out of my bag to polish them up after an unfortunate incident in a previous job. When I got to the kid's house, I reached for the bag and instantly realized my mistake. It was too late to go back home, so I had no choice but to go in without them. Everything was going great until it came time for the balloon animals. I'd gone through a number of dogs, giraffes, and the like. Then one little shit came up to me and said he wanted a snake. I looked at him a little funny, but inflated a balloon, tied it off, and handed it over. Bill paused for a moment and found both the bartender and Roger hanging on to his every word. He took another sip of Coke and continued. He looked at me like I was some kind of asshole and says, Where are the eyes? I could have done this. He said it like that. I shit you not. Without thinking, I grabbed it back, twisted off a couple of eyes at the base, and it was back in the kid's hand before I realized what I had done. What'd you do? Both the bartender and Roger looked a bit confused. Think about it. Only took a second before Roger's face lit up in recognition. (laughs) No, (laughs) he laughed. Yep, I just handed a giant wiener balloon over to an eight-year-old. It was only a matter of seconds before it ended up in the hands of one of the kid's teenage brothers who took it upon himself to run around the yard, humping everyone he could with the latex dong. Bartender was straight up laughing at this point. Holy shit, that's amazing. Yeah, under different circumstances, I probably would have been laughing myself. All I remember is a loud bang as the balloon exploded and some kid's dad started screaming at me, inches from my face. Whoa, what happened next? Well, he just kept going on and on, calling me every name in the book. I started to get angry, really pissed off, you know? But I couldn't hit the guy in front of all those kids. That'd have been the end of my clown days for sure. So I just stood there and sort of took it. I was so angry that tears began to pour from my eyes, which caused my makeup to start to run. One of the kids noticed and brought it to everyone's attention. Before I knew it, they had surrounded me, pointing, laughing. The dad backed off and joined in with them. His audience remained silent, allowing him a moment to collect himself before he continued. In that moment, I'd never been more angry in my life and would have done anything to make the laughter stop. Kind of ironic, no? said the bartender, gesturing toward the clown getup. Yeah, I guess it is now that I think about it. Roger decided to chime in at this point. So that's it? You made a dick balloon, got laughed at, and that was your worst day ever? Boy, I'd hate for you to deal with my problems for a day. Fuck you and your fucking clown shoes. Bill found himself a bit perturbed. Well, it wasn't all that happened. Whatever, muttered Roger. That was also the day that the dream started. Roger didn't say anything, but his eyes moved back to Bill and stayed there. The bartender stopped wiping down the counter and rested his hands on the bar top. Now with two pairs of eyes locked on him once again, he started to regret that last statement and looked down at his watch. Sorry, fellas. I had to go put my face on. He stood to leave. Oh, no, you don't. The bartender grabbed Bill by the wrist. What happens next? What dreams? Bill retook his seat and sighed deeply. Well, that night I was pretty rattled. So I had some help getting to sleep, if you know what I mean, he said, gesturing toward the array of liquor bottles lying behind the bar. I'm sure Roger here can relate. Fuck you. Bill laughed to himself. So I passed out and had the most vivid dream. It picked up with the kids surrounding me, the tears falling down my face. I reached into my pocket to grab my hanky. You know those ridiculous ones that seem to go on forever? The pair nodded in unison. Well, what I came back with was a pistol. Pulled back on the slide to advance around into the chamber, and one by one... I silenced their laughter. Each one fell to the grass in a soft thud, and once I had filled the air with silence and gunpowder, I looked straight at the father and started to laugh. Both men stared at Bill with their mouths agape. The bartender broke the silence. Holy shit. Bill chuckled. Holy shit indeed. I've had that dream every night since. What's weird is now, after three years, I find it kind of comforting. Every time some little turd gives me shit, I closed my eyes and visualized the bullet entering his skull and exiting out the back in an explosion of bone fragments and blood. Then I smile and move on. Pretty fucked up, man. Bill shrugged. You do what it takes to get you through. Everyone has their own path to happiness. Yeah, exclaimed the bartender, but most paths don't involve the slaughter of innocent children. That's true, but I've never owned a gun in my life. Never even held one. 
No one can ever be hurt, because it's all up in here. He tapped his index finger to his temple. Bartender looked at him sideways, but nodded. Bill pulled out a few more bills to add what he had already placed on the counter. Thanks for listening. His eyes moved across the bar where he found Roger's seat to be empty. Hey, where'd that Roger head off to? The bartender whipped around and both men caught the sight of Roger exiting the bar into the crowded alley. Son of a bitch, he stiffed me. Bill pulled out another 20 and dropped it on the bar. That should cover him. Bartender nodded and watched as Bill took his bag and made off for the locker room. After 20 years of clowning, Bill had the makeup down to a science. Began with a white foundation that covered his entire face, ears, and neck. On the left cheek went a yellow circle, and the right was donned with a blue triangle. He used black to outline a big grin around his mouth, which was then filled with red. His transformation was completed with a large rainbow afro wig and a red rubber nose. He looked in the mirror and wondered if anyone else could see past this facade at the years of pain beneath the brightly colored surface. He sighed as he collected his makeup and placed it back in his bag. Pulled out his big, floppy blue and white shoes and moved over to a bench in front of a wall of metal lockers. He hesitated before sitting and placed them on the bench in front of him. Nature called. Moved over across the room to a single urinal which was labeled out of order by a crude handwritten sign. Did a quick spin on his heels and entered the adjacent stall. Took a bit of work to get himself situated, but he was used to it and finally got the stream to flow. As he closed his eyes and reveled in the relief, he heard a low squeaking sound as the locker room door opened. Bill finished, but remained still, putting himself away as quietly as he could. He could feel a presence in the room, but found it eerily silent. The door to the only other stall remained still, the sinks were quiet, and not a footstep could be heard. Could he have imagined the sound in the first place? He held his breath, waiting for confirmation one way or the other. After a moment, he heard the door open and close again. He took a deep breath and slowly opened the door to the stall. The room was empty save for himself, yet he couldn't shake the feeling that someone had been there. He moved back over to the locker area and his suspicion was quickly confirmed. His shoes were no longer on the bench. What lied in their place was a small revolver and a bag of balloons to which a post-it note had been affixed. Bill took the gun in his hand and was immediately transported into his dream. Grin began to grow across his face as he watched each child's head snap back with the force of the bullet, the pain and humiliation easing as more and more lives were eliminated. He reached through a hole in his costume, tucking the weapon securely into his belt. He picked up the balloons and pulled the note from the package, his smile widening as he read the words one last time. He crumpled the paper and tossed it into a nearby wastebasket as he left the locker room, the words echoing like a mantra in his brain. Who's laughing now? Okay, I, th I think by the end of all this episode, this is going to be the most messed up episode we've had. <laughs> this is probably what, like the third time I've killed children? I was, I was going to say, you've got, you got a sick problem with killing children, man. Listen, like, okay, so we could get into this. The thing is, is I sat there and I was like clown shoes. And like the first thing that popped into my head was freaking like Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back. When oh, okay. Like fucking yeah, clown right. shoes. So I was like, okay, well, I'm definitely going to use the words fucking clown shoes in this. And then I was like, so next step, fucked up clown. There you have it. Fucked up clown. So who left the note? Um, I'm trying to imply that Roger left the note. Well, that's kind of, that's kind of what I was going to guess, yeah. but. I almost, like, signed it, but then I was just like, it's just a little more ominous, so. But I thought, like, because of, like, just the conversation that they had right there with the balloons and the gun, like, it was just kind of Roger. Hmm. Okay. That's interesting. So, I, I was trying to get a feel for Bill's character, because he seemed like, he seemed pretty even keel, because he was able to sort of deflect Roger a little bit and not let him get to him too much like he was sort of above that but um then you sort of painted him as sort of like down and out and um you know kind of like sick of his job and you know not quite a pushover but just sort of he just kind of takes it you know what I right mean? um and then you you start to get to that that point right before you go over the edge where you start to feel sorry for him because you're like oh he's just you know he sort of made a mistake with these kids and you know with with the uh with the balloon animals and stuff. And then, you know, he's being, 
you know, derided by one of the fathers, and you're like, oh, this guy's just kind of down on his luck, and then, and then you go into his dream, and you're like, wow, this guy's, this guy's messed up. Um, and so I wasn't sure what to make of him as a character, I guess. Like, do I feel sorry for him? Is he, do I hate him? Do, you know, I don't, I don't know. Well, I think. I hate a strong. Yeah. Guy. I mean, now I, I think, like well, I mean, I think safe to say in, I don't know, within the next 20 minutes or so from leaving the locker room, you're probably, you're probably safe to hate him. I don't know. I think he was just, um, he was definitely a guy down on his luck, just kind of going through the motions to do what he needed to do to get the money or whatever. And I think it was just kind of like he's got all this shit inside him that, I mean, if if they wouldn't have coaxed it out of him, he probably would have just done the party and left. You know what I mean? Because I think, like yeah. he said, like it's just all up in his head. Like it was just, you right. know. So I don't know. Uh, I mean, that's a great question. It does seem like it's like kind of like it just kind of switches halfway through. To down, like, you you know, like what you said, the guy's just kind of down and out. But then he's also, like, harboring all of this, like, crazy shit in the back of his head. Yeah, so the next question is, was he made that way due to the circumstances of his job, or was he always that way and the job brought it out? I think it was brought on by the circumstances of the job. But ultimately, it was because he never took, I mean, I guess you could say that just like the fact that he was a clown at 40 years old doesn't give him a whole lot of like ambition or drive because he just kind of did what was available and just accepted it, like, you know. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I, I can say that he probably, I don't know as much about Roger as I do about some of my other characters. Yeah, because that was... Uh... You know, he, he's equally as twisted in a sense because he's enabling Bill's dream to kind of come to life. Yeah. I said Roger. So he's, yeah. he's, he's complicit. Yeah, and it seems like, I mean, that guy, I think if we, if we were to dig a little deeper into Roger, you probably see just like based on the fact that he's like covered in soot or whatever, he does work hard and he sees this guy as just like a... A loser. Yeah, but he might also, you know, I think the the fact that him handing over the gun and enabling it is maybe just a way for him to release some of his frustration as well and let maybe Bill take the fall. Because, hmm. you know, I, I mean, he ultimately wouldn't be responsible for pulling the trigger or whatever, but I mean, he definitely sure. enabled what what's to come. See, I would say these these characters, all three of them, are probably like I didn't even I didn't even name the bartender, right? Well, he doesn't need a name. Yeah, I didn't think so. Like I was thinking about it on the way through, and like I I felt weird saying the bartender a lot, but then I was like, you know what? Like I was, like I just don't think it matters. Yeah, I think it was fine. Yeah, what's always interesting to me is how you can refer to your characters as if they're real people. You know what I mean? I try to because then it kind of helps me at least make them talk. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I, like, I feel like I need to get into their head a little bit. And like, my, you know, I didn't get too far into Bill's head here. I mean, yeah, I'm not sure that you would want to. Well, so like, where, where did the idea even come from to go down that route? I mean, that's like, what was... It, it's, it's really hard to say because I was like, I think I just... Like, honestly, I think the initial plan was like, I want to go out to kill some kids. Like, I think, <laughs> I think, I think that was it. But I was like, you know, I was like, ultimately, um, the clown, clowns exist to make kids happy, not, to, you know, mercilessly slaughter them. So there had to be something. So I, I was actually struggling with it. And then a buddy of mine was telling me about, I think it was his son, where there was a clown and he asked him to make a snake and the guy wouldn't make a snake. Because when you put eyes on a snake, it just becomes a huge, like, rubber dildo. And, and, like, the clown refused to do it. And my buddy was like, why? And then it took a couple of seconds. He's like, oh, yeah, I get it now. Because it's just, like, two big eyes on the end of a long... Just just draw the eyes on with a Sharpie <laughs> so, or something. So I was like, well, I mean, I happen to be writing a story about a clown. I can't write it now without putting a freaking dick balloon in it. <laughs> so then I decided to make the dick balloon the source of like his worst day and then then it just kind of evolved into the point where we got to shooting kids. Hmm. I felt really I got to tell you when I was writing the part where like the 
bullet exploded out of the back of his head with an explosion of bone fragments and blood. I felt really mm-hmm. dirty. Like I, I felt really like as you should. <laughs> I was like this. This is not okay. But then I was like, well, fucked up clown. So and then I kept writing. <laughs> yeah, I just I don't know. It's um, it's it's a it's a disturbing trend. Well, to say I'm looking least. I'm looking at a list of my stories here, and it's just like um, dead kids, dead kids, dead kids. There was an adult kid. Uh, an adult died in the first one. Then. There were two dead kids in the second one. Oh, wait a second. Yeah, there was two dead kids in the second one. There was another two dead kids in the third one. Yeah, there's a bunch of unfortunate events surrounding children in my stories. So what do you think that is? Do you think that's just like an, an overwhelming fear that something's going to happen to my own kids? Uh, I mean, I was just wondering about this. So, I mean, it might be that. It might be, you know, you love horror. And I think a lot of horror is driven around you know, children and a lot, you know, a lot, at least young, young people, right? Mm-hmm. Maybe, maybe that's what it is. Maybe I'm so disgusted with the idea that there's people that could hurt children that when I'm writing horror and I'm writing despicable characters, that's what I like reach for because in my mind, that's the worst type of human. It's the worst thing you can think of. That you could, yeah, that you could be. So maybe that kind of explains my my thing because I'm writing all these terrible people and to me like how could you possibly harm a child yeah I don't know I think that's it I think we just got to the bottom of it Why? maybe maybe we'll see what we'll see what happens we'll see we'll see what happens next month if, if more people die or what yeah well you were due to kill someone right I think so because like yeah the past two nobody died well I mean two episodes ago we did have like a guy almost dying we had we had we had a break, so I guess I guess you were due. <laughs> yeah. But um, the one thing that I think was a highlight was, you know, you you had a three way conversation going on, which sometimes is awkward to write, mm-hmm. es- especially if uh, I guess as a listener it might be different than as a reader. But sometimes as a reader, you know, it may not be clear who's talking or who's doing what. But right. I I didn't ever have a sense of being confused or anything. That's that's so I, good. I thought you juggled that. Yeah. That well. well, and it, what what was especially hard is like they were all stationary too. So it's like right. they couldn't do a whole lot, you know? It's not like they were walking down the street and they could interact with the environment around them to kind of break up the conversation and kind of mm-hmm. remind the reader who's who and who's saying what. So, like, I did I did find it kind of difficult going through that. And, I, you know, it felt kind of weird because I felt like I had him just taking sips of his Coke a lot, but it's just like he was sitting at a bar. Like, it's right. kind of what you do, so I felt like it was okay, but I did feel like I kind of cheated a little bit on that. But... It's good to it's good to hear that like it wasn't confusing at all because that's definitely a a concern. Yeah, it's it's funny because I'm writing um I'm working on the next driver story right now. And I was writing a bar scene with three characters sitting at a table talking. Um but what's difficult about it is that two of them are sort of having one conversation and the third one's trying to interject with a third and is sort of ignored for most of the time. Mm-hmm. Um, or at least is deflected with the, the main thread of the conversation. And so I'm trying to juggle having that sound natural because, you know, if you think about natural dialogue, you know, that, that, that sort of thing happens. But how do you make it work within the context of a, of a book or, or scene or whatever? So something to keep in mind. Yeah, cool. Well, I was excited to get back into the killing. Yeah. Well, you definitely uh, <laughs> jumped right in. Yeah. I do what I can. So let's, um, I mean, do you have anything else to say or should we move back into Antiheroes 1.1? I think that, I think that's about all I had. All right. So, I mean, I think this was, I mean, this was very different than the last time we saw these characters because they were in a very different situation. I feel like this was before, is that correct? So these aren't the same characters. These aren't the same characters, but they're in the same world. Yeah. So you may not remember, um... With the first story that I did, uh, the, the idea was that I was going to, not that we won't go back to those other ones, but um, the idea was that I would introduce a couple different characters, um, you know, anti-heroes, suggesting there's more than one of these these, sure. these characters, who if I like them enough and we, we do this long enough that I get enough stories out, that maybe one day I'd do a novel with all of them that would tie into a, a larger story. So this Rex character is somebody totally new. Got it. 
and has a different a different power than than the other fellow. So uh, one of the questions I have written down here then is so the only thing that I, I really remember from the first story without going back and reading it or listening to it again was the um like the protagonist he had the ability to make his hand disappear or make it like like he, like I don't know if he was like going out of phase or whatever but he could then I think he I think he inserted it in somebody's throat and then let it re formulize or, or or whatever and then it choked the guy to death correct yeah essentially displaced his trachea yeah yeah so um did did that guy was he one of these numbered people at one point no or so that okay so that that's not the these world's events, not connected right points. these events are totally separate okay i wasn't sure if maybe they were all like all of these anti-heroes shared like a um like the same origin no, I'm th- I'm thinking them more along the lines of just like, um, you know, like the Marvel Comics universe, for example. You know, where you just got all these different people from different origins and backgrounds, different stories, and eventually they can interact if if you so choose. Correct. Got it. So, was did you write the the first one in first person? I I did. Okay. I I was just curious because I um. I actually just wrote something in first person for a class, and then I ultimately ended up changing it to third because I didn't feel like it worked as well. Mm-hmm. So, like, what was your inspiration to do the first person thing? Um, partly was it was because I had done the first story that way, but um, part of it's because I really enjoy first person, and I thought that it it it, it lends like a more of an authenticity. Yeah, it's it's almost like you're you get a better chance to become your character you do you get to think how they would think and i I will say i i struggled a bit this month um in the sense that i I was a little distracted with the release of the book and all that kind of thing so yeah um i wasn't super focused with this story but i feel like it kind of fit in the sense that if there's any sort of um rambling nature to this character's thoughts or the way he kind of progresses is is sort of due to his circumstances and he's, mm-hmm. you know, sort of, he knows a little bit, he knows enough to know that he doesn't know everything sort of a thing. Um, and, you know, he's sort of in this scenario where he thinks everything's normal, but slowly starts to realize everything's not. And then he has a aha moment where in a sense, things come together, but he still doesn't know why, but it, it sort of triggers him. Yeah. I'd say. <laughs> yeah. His aha moment was very, um, it was very bloody. Yes. Did he s- literally slice the clown in half? <laughs> I don't because, know that like, he sliced the clown in half, but he, he definitely impaled him. <laughs> there, was, there was like a, I believe the first thing was like a diagonal chop or something. So I was just, <laughs> I was sitting here and I, I almost cheered, but I didn't want to, I didn't want to distract you because I was really excited. Yeah, I thought that that point would elicit some type of reaction from you. <laughs> It was really hard to hold it back. Well, it was a very unexpected. I mean, all of a sudden you're killing the clown, right? Right. And one thing that that I that I I really like about your writing that I don't think I do that well is you can spend a lot more care, uh, time inside your character's head, where my characters just babble, <laughs> babble a lot. <laughs> so it's like so you're getting a, like so that build up was like really good and then like all of a sudden it was just like you were just like boom and then we're just like it's just like a slaughterhouse at that point right because yeah, i mean like yeah. everybody was yeah i mean everybody right well not the kids i mean the fellow patients <laughs> so you, or whatever you want to call them in this facility <laughs> so you have boundaries that i obviously right. don't share so he attacked the people that he perceived to be his enemies or the people that had kind of put him in this situation. Gotcha. Well, you know what? Not so different from Bill because those kids were really shitty. I'm just justifying my kid killing. Well, it's fine. As far as we know, Bill got, got away with his, his deed and this is Bill working a side gig in this, in this facility. I mean, that's... Oh, shit. And now Bill's dead. That's interesting, but Bill's dead now and, you know, deservedly so. I really enjoyed the fact that he left the facility in the clown shoes and a lab coat. Mm-hmm. Like, that's like, it's like he wanted to change his appearance enough so that he wouldn't be noticed. But he was wearing a lab coat and clown shoes, right. which I just thought was brilliant. But then, you know, 
the bum named him. So, I mean, I guess he's he's pretty down and out right now. So, I also, I, I liked the the Rex thing. So, is that foreshadowing anything in this character's future that you're willing to share? Or It, 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 it isn't. So, I had the idea for this character actually around the time that I was writing the first anti-hero story. But I, I wasn't ready to introduce him because I wasn't sure how to do it in a deft way because his... His backstory is somewhat controversial, and we can get into that if you want or not. But um, I, I just the name Rex popped in my head out of nowhere. I don't know where it came from, but I just liked it. So I, I it was just a a way to work it into the story. Okay, I wasn't sure if if he was uh, if that was going to play into his character at all. I really liked the identification by numbers, though. Like I think that that was a real interesting way to make them like not give them a name, but name them. Yeah. I, I felt it was kind of cheap because it was, um, I think they did something similar to that in V for Vendetta. I never saw it. Well, it, it wasn't that great. It was it like, there were parts of it that were cool, but overall I was whatever, but I, I it was, it was a way to uh, dehumanize them, I guess is what I was trying to get at. Yeah. It definitely dehumanized them, but it, it was like, I, I liked it because then even, even, he referred to himself as eight. So it was just like, even though he was aware that this was like, like you said, like dehumanizing him, it was still the only way he knew himself. And it was just like a really interesting thing. So I'm interested to see how this evolves. Like, does he, does he continue going by Rex just because this bum mentioned it once? Or does he still like, will he always just be eight? Yeah, I, I guess my thought was that he would assume the identity of Rex simply because he's looking for to grasp at any sense of normalcy, and and he needs to kind of assimilate into society. So he does. He needs to blend in, and he needs to. I think just for his own character, he needs to feel normal because he's recognized because he's one of the older kids in this group that he's starting to figure out that you know because because you can't keep kids in the dark forever. You know, at some point they start to suspect things or whatever. It it could be an interesting like character trait though to like be parading around as this Rex person, but still self-identifying as like someone who doesn't matter or someone. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's true. Yeah, no, it was it was it was really interesting. I really, I really enjoyed it, and like I said, I really um, you do a really good job of like conveying the internal thoughts that lead to the action, as opposed to just going to the action. Like I was with you. And then you almost weren't, you were surprised at the the level of like what he just did, but you weren't surprised that he snapped. Right. If that makes sense. Okay. In the first one, we really focused on one of the characters, but there was a girl as well, right? Mm -hmm. Was she a antihero? No, she's not. She, so, so he was the only one in that story? Correct. Because there was was there another guy, or was there just the guy that was abusing the just girl? Just him. I think I don't know that I ever named him outside of his nickname. His nickname was Copperhead because he was um, he had red hair. But that sounds that sounds familiar to me. But I don't think I named him. So how many more of these antiheroes do you have like concocted in your head? I've got an idea for one more, and I, my idea was to maybe have three of them that I would do like these little podcast stories with, and then, like I said, if they got developed enough, or you know, we keep doing this, then maybe I would tie all their stories together in a book. All right, so before we wrap up completely, um, there was a poll. So we do have, we already had a poll for the next prompt uh, for episode nine, which is coming out on June 3rd. And that prompt is, every floor is different. And I read this prompt, and I have no freaking idea what I'm going to do for every floor is different. But you know what? We're going to come up with something. I have an idea, but (laughs) we'll see. Okay, so I'm I'm excited. This one is gonna, this one's probably gonna be a frustration for me because I'm probably gonna sit there and overthink it until it just kind of comes to me, and it'll probably come to me like four days before we record. So um, every floor is different, but I have an idea for the July podcast, and I kind of like we're going we're going a little bit out there now, but um, it was prompted by um, something that Neil Gaiman said in his master class. So um, I'll put the I'll put the link for Masterclass in there. Um, honestly, it's kind of awesome. 
he just kind of sits there and talks about how he writes. I mean, it's not like it's not like you're going to be able to like listen to Neil Gaiman for four hours and then go write like you know some like worldwide bestseller. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But like, if you like an insight to people's process and you find that interesting, this masterclass thing is awesome. But anyways, I was watching one of his um, one of his lessons, and it was. Um, it was, an, it was a lesson about inspiration, and he was talking about an exercise in which you take a story that you're familiar with, and you make it new and make it your own. So he used Snow White as an example, and I'm going to paraphrase him here now, but when he described it, he was showing how you can like shift things to take on a new meaning. So if you look at the story of Snow White from a different perspective, you have this vampire princess and a necrophile prince, and this... like makes the heroine of the story actually the mother because like she has this daughter that can lay in a coffin for a year and then come back perfectly fine. So the mother's poisoning her and putting her to sleep to actually protect everyone in the kingdom from this maniac. So I I was laughing when he said it, but then I was just like, I th- I felt that it was like kind of like a really interesting exercise and I think it could play in to our podcast really well. So I was thinking that maybe... For the July episode, we put out a poll asking people to suggest fairy tales that we could rewrite from a different perspective, put our own twist on. You know, we can make them, we could pull them into modern day, we could send them into the past, we could put them in space, we could do whatever we want. But the idea would be to like take a, a like a well-known tale and just like distort it and twist it and make it our own. What do you think? Yeah, I like it. Let's do it. All right, so we'll put a poll out there after this episode drops, I think, so that we're not, like, too confusing. So we'll we'll look for a poll um, after May 6th, and um, we'll see what kind of fairy tales you want, and then whichever the winner is, we can do that. Cool? That works. All right, so if you would like to vote or, or suggest on one of those prompts, there's a few different ways you can do it. You can go to the Facebook group, which is facebook.com slash group slash pod. You can uh, tweet at Twitter. It's uh, and you're not going to tweet at Twitter. You're going to go to Twitter and you're going to tweet at P Written Pod, um, or you can just go to the website promptlywrittenpodcast.com and there's a contact page where you can um, email us and we'll make sure that uh, your suggestion gets put into the poll if you're not a Facebook person. Um, Ian, where's the best place for people to find all things Ian Lewis? IanLewisFiction.com. All right. And for me, you can find me at Um Hit me up at, at MattShagaric on Twitter if you want. I'm trying. I'm, I think I've been a little better at staying consistent with Twitter, but I still have like go through waves. So come hit me up on Twitter. We can talk there. Like I said, episode nine will come out on June 3rd. The prompt is every floor is different. If you like what you hear, please go to Apple Podcasts and leave a review so we can get other uh, everybody listening to the show. That makes sense? Yeah. Um, I think that's it for today. So um, I guess we'll see you next month. Yeah, thank you. All right, later.